Welcome to GovIT, the monthly podcast series from DLT, where we discuss the next generation of public sector IT solutions with the technology innovators driving the change. I'm your host, Tom Temin. Each month, we explore a different technology, what it is, and how it can help public sector organizations achieve their modernization goals and accomplish their missions. This week, we're sitting down with Red Hat's John Osborne to discuss the advancements of DevSecOps in the public sector and ways Red Hat is leading the way with two of its major platforms. John, good to have you on. Thanks. Really happy to be here. Let's begin with some of the projects you're working on at Red Hat and maybe fill us in on what Red Hat has become in the last uh, 20, 25 years it's been on the market. Yeah, it's definitely pivoted a lot. I mean, uh, right now, Red Hat's the, the world's largest you know, open source company. We started, of course, with Linux and making that you know an enterprise package distribution of Linux we started pivoting a lot and building on top of that, moving more towards platforms in the last 10 years or so. So moving up into the stack with middleware, and then we started out with OpenStack. Lately, we've been focused pretty heavily on platforms with, with Kubernetes and Ansible and some other uh, modern technologies that uh, commercial companies are using and, and trying to bring those to public sector as well. And what are some of the things you're specifically developing at this time, especially in the federal market? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the big things we're working on in public sector is, is bringing a lot of new ways of working and technologies to public sector. So think out in the commercial side, you know, it's not just about what people are building, but, but how they're building it, right? A lot of uh, modern new ways to build software, like domain-driven design and, and the lean startup model and those types of things. And, you know, this ability where this idea where you're constantly getting feedback and deciding whether to to pivot or persevere with that feedback and building software that way. And then, you know, this, this other idea that's really emerged in IT right now is this idea that you have a platform for your ideas and for your policies, especially in the enterprise. So we've been pretty focused heavily on that the last couple of, uh, last few years at Red Hat. Uh, on bringing those those patterns into into public sector as well. And briefly, what do you mean by domain driven design? A lot of the the new ways of working there, it's really about constantly getting feedback and starting with the outcome you want and working backwards from there. And it's really a, a lot of them come down to you know, things like idea generation. It's kind of the opposite of the the waterfall approach that you're probably used to in public sector with ITIL and some of these other things like DFAR where you bake in all your requirements up front and then you you learn really late in the process, right? And so right now we're trying to, to learn a lot quicker. And those are new ways of building software. And some of those we incubate inside you know, IT organizations and then you know, meeting them where they are in terms of you know, how they're building software now and trying to, to pull them forward a little bit uh, with some of the ways that we're, we're automating and things of that nature as well. Sounds like the domain or the mission, in other words, are the organic source of the ideas that go into the software bit by bit. So it's really very close to the mission and support thereof. Absolutely. All right. And this idea of DevSecOps as the dominant architecture, tell us about the idea of the dominant architecture that relates to this having a platform like this. Yeah. So the term dominant architecture, what that means, it's really, uh, if you follow any of the, the DevOps mindset and things that are out there upstream, Dr. Spear, who is really well known, he wrote the most downloaded Harvard Business Review article of all time and did a lot of work around psychological safety and these things. And he, he kind of coined this term dominant architecture, which is really about once you start out in any industry trying to solve a problem, it's not even specific to tech, right? You start throwing out all these ideas and eventually this, these kind of patterns emerge and that you get this dominant architecture where it kind of solidifies the roles and responsibilities that people have. And we see that in IT around you know, developers always want to 
move fast. They want to try out new things. They want to extend their ecosystem. And of course, IT operations, infosec, security people, you know, they want to make sure the system's stable. They want to prevent outages. They want to make sure all the security policies are in place. And so we've seen this pattern emerge where the way to do this is really to put a platform in place. And the platform is this API a lot of times in between the teams. And the idea is that economies of scale, you know, you don't kind of avoid having multiple teams doing the same thing in silos, which we've all seen before, right? And that you can bake in a lot of your policies. If you think about a lot of the modern ways to build software have this two pizza team concept where, you know, you have small teams that are autonomous and own an app pretty much end to end, right? But they need to interact with other teams because not everything is small, right? And so the way you interact with other teams is, is kind of moving away from the, a ticket-driven approach with the ServiceNow or whatever it is, put in a help desk ticket, and moving more towards an API-driven approach. And a platform is a good way to support that. And it helps you go faster, but with the guardrails on that you need for things like InfoSec and security and the whole ATO process and compliance, those types of things. It can help you hide a lot of the complexity too. So if you think about you know, developers, if they're going to put something in production, they need to know about authorization, load balancers, networking, compute, storage, those types of things they don't necessarily know or care about. If you put a platform in, in place, you know, the operations teams can make sure all those resource pools are there. And, and Kubernetes ends up being a really good way to do that as well. Um, but the idea is that you, you have an API in place with the guardrails. People can get a cloud-like experience with elastic resources, self-service portal, because if you have to wait six months to get a VM, you know, that's not a, a very, that's not a cloud-like experience, right? And so the idea is that we can go fast, but with all the security and guardrails and, and operations concerns baked in to what we're doing. So the logic related to the domain itself, the mission itself, is developed separately from the infrastructure that it'll have to run on, which could be common to many domains, but those Absolutely. domains are there to fit the architecture and vice versa. Absolutely. And you know, I think one of the things that we've learned the last few years is going back to maybe five years ago, we had this kind of mindset where security is going to be everyone's job, right? And um, because InfoSec is usually about one to 30 ratio to developers, but you know, one of the things that we found is that, you know, de yes, developers should be taking consider security into consideration, but a lot of times they're very bad at it, right? And especially in government, you know, it's a lot, a lot of times the developers are separate contracts and they might not even know the ops team or the security team, right? And so the the newer way of thinking is developers should be taking security into consideration, but with DevSecOps, it's like, okay, yes, they should, but we're going to bake it into the platform and have an API to handle that so that you have security testing and, and runtime defenses and everything else, host intrusion detection, if you're doing those types of things, built into the platform for you. And that's really kind of the iteration of the platform is to have all the security pieces baked in. So you know, yes, security is everyone's job, but let's make sure, let's trust but verify, right? So that's kind of the idea behind it. Yeah, like when there's a child in the pool, if everybody's watching, nobody's watching, I guess, as the saying goes. And talk about how Red Hat is putting all these things in a bundle. How is Red Hat addressing these topics? Absolutely. So we don't go to customers and just do product pitches, of course. You know, we, we start with understanding their business problems, and then we try to translate those into, into technology. A lot of our customers are especially in public sector, are running in multiple environments, right? So we talk about hybrid cloud uh, infrastructure, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're trying to run an app magically on, on a bunch of different cloud providers. It means that they have you know, an on-premise footprint in a data center. Certain parts of government, they might have various edge footprints and so forth. And they're also trying to adopt a public cloud provider 
and a lot of times those public cloud providers, they also have specialized regions, right? And so that they need a consistent way to deliver developer capabilities. They need to monitor their app consistently. They need to secure their app consistently. They need data and data services. So for Red Hat right now, we're fundamentally behind two different technologies, Ansible and OpenShift Container Platform, as a way to kind of bring in a lot of the modern ecosystem and uh, security and automation that you would think about in a platform, a lot of the, the data components as well. Give us some of the use cases for these two platforms. You mentioned Ansible and the OpenShift Kubernetes distribution. Absolutely. So Ansible is, is like a Swiss Army knife, uh, I like to say. It's extremely easy to adopt, and it has a, a really big ecosystem. And so you know, one of the things with Ansible is that it's, it's great for automating a lot of what you have now. And it's so simple. You can you can take a course within a couple hours and, and get started. And so there's a really big footprint for that. A lot of a lot of vendors even that are that have their own proprietary storage or proprietary network switches and things like that already have Ansible playbooks. So it becomes really easy to get started on it. OpenShift is, is built on Kubernetes, which was designed to solve more complex problems around distributed applications, monitoring the applications. You know, if my application dies, can I just, can it spin it back up automatically? It's built on containers. So in practice, a lot of times with your, if you're deciding between platforms, a lot of times it's more, are you ready to adopt containers? Are you ready to adopt Kubernetes? Um, And if you're on virtual machines, probably going to be using Ansible. We just released OpenShift 4.6, which was a a huge release for us because it was essentially a government-specific release of the software, which is really big. Because if you think about especially in public sector, a lot of people just, they have low expectations, I think. You know, they're used to, if you're used to working in disconnected or air-gapped regions, you're used to just not having this kind of suboptimal experience compared to the public cloud provider where everything's just, you know, push-buttoned in. You're used to having to just sneaker net things over and, and, you know, a lot of what you think about cloud just doesn't exist a lot of times if, th- if things are air-gapped um, or if you're in specialized regions of cloud. And for us, we brought in a lot of components into OpenShift 4.6 to make sure that you actually had a cloud-like experience. But even if you're disconnected, even if you're at the tactical edge, if you're in an air-gapped environment, or if you're just in a cutoff region, a special or specialized region of a, a public cloud provider. Well, you've mentioned uh, some challenges to success here. And what do you see as the big hurdles, and especially in the government, which tends to be slow sometimes to adopt the latest, not so much technologies, but maybe the latest approaches and methodologies? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the first one is is inertia, I'd say. You know, we have to start small and build momentum on it. So I usually recommend kind of the rule of one, right? Like get one app into production, one team. A lot of times there'll be barriers in terms of inertia, in terms of people, of course, as well. So, you know, we always say communicate, 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 over-communicate. And, you know, a lot of times you get these kind of forward-looking teams in the government, and sometimes they go up against, you know, more traditional approaches and teams. So we have to be cognizant of that. Some of the other, you know, challenges are, I'd say, a lot of times there's kind of a fixed mindset in terms of risk. So if you think about a lot of the ATO process and things like that, it's built around the traditional waterfall method, right? And that was where you build in all your requirements, you build in all your security pieces, you build in all your your risk management upfront, right? And that the challenge with that is public cloud and a lot of the cloud native ecosystem around Kubernetes and these kind of things are moving so fast that by the time you're done with that, you're moving into a dynamic environment, right? So you can 
you can spend a year going through the ATO process, but it's almost not, not even valid by the time you're done because the target environment has changed, right? And so we're trying to work with customers to get off of the kind of traditional walled garden type of approaches to security. You know, if you move into public cloud, a lot of times you're moving higher up in the stack in terms of identity management, how your security settings are in terms of networking and things like that, where on-prem, I had worked with a customer actually about a month ago, and they tried to basically lift and shift their security posture on-prem into public cloud. And they ended up with 300-something different firewalls because that's the way they had it on-prem. So we're, we're trying to take you know a lot of best practices and kind of move those up into the the reality that is today in, in public sectors. So yeah, you'd think they'd know by now here in 2021 that that is not yeah. the way to go. Well, then what's your best advice for agencies that want to get into the DevSecOps mode, get into this domain-dominant architecture mode of operating? What are the top two or three things they should do now? It's important, you know, a lot of times, especially in public sector, we get focused on the inputs, meaning we have to do cloud or do, we have to modernize or we have to be agile. I always say like, you know, focus on the outcome that you want and, and work backwards. Um, and from there, you know, the rule of one, start small, build a momentum. So when I say the rule of one, I mean one experiment or one team, often they're in the same location um, into production. And a lot of times you're starting off, there's, there's normally parts of the org that are just naturally more receptive to newer ways of working, newer technologies and those types of things. So start with them and build that momentum from there and then work on things like creating APIs between teams, do things holistically. So start measuring some of the measurements, you know, use the state of DevOps support measurements, the four, the four key metrics there, and then hopefully move into other key metrics that differentiate what you're doing in, at your organization. The other big thing is avoiding kind of the, the snowflake IT culture, which sometimes exists in, in public sector, right? Where you're spending a lot of time reinventing the wheel and things that exist because you have this kind of concept that you know, you're doing things much differently because a lot of times I work with, with commercial customers too. And a lot of times what people are doing in public sector really isn't that much different than what happens in commercial. And we can take a lot of what they're doing and the best practices there. And especially even in regulated industries like healthcare or financials, and we can take those and can bring them into public sector as well. Those are probably the, a few things I'd say to get started. But a lot of times it is about starting small and just kind of building that momentum on top of that. John Osborne is the chief architect of Red Hat. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. I was really happy to be here. Invite me back anytime. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you tune in next month where we dive into the importance of secure software factories with DLT's DevSecOps experts. You've been listening to GovIT from DLT. I'm Tom Temin.